Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, this, not December, Friday, February the 16th, 2024. A significant month in the history of technology. It's the month that uh, Facebook 20 years ago was founded in, in February, on February the 4th, 2004. So Facebook is 20 years old in February 2024. Happy birthday, uh, Facebook. It hasn't been particularly happy birthday, I think, mostly for Facebook. So at the end of last month, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder and the current CEO, showed up in Washington, D.C. at uh, Senate hearings about the impact of social media on America. He apologized to uh, the parents of social media victims, saying, I'm sorry for everything you've been through. He was grilled, so to speak, and he was accused of having, quote unquote, blood on his hands. So it hasn't been a particularly happier 20th anniversary, although in other ways it has. Facebook's uh, numbers this month have been astonishing and their stock price and their valuation have gone up dramatically. Uh, one man who has followed Facebook for many years, almost for those 20 years, is my old friend David Kirkpatrick. He's the author of the first and still, I think, the most authoritative and influential history of Facebook. It's called The Facebook Effect. It came out in 2011. No, 2010, um, and the paperback was. Oh, uh, whoops! Sorry, David. 2010. So it came oh. out after six years of Facebook history, and David has gone from someone who I think is quite optimistic about Facebook to someone who is increasingly pessimistic. And um, in uh, in accordance with Facebook's 20th anniversary, he's not celebrating it. He wrote an interesting piece in Time called "Unpacking." The Facebook tragedy as it turns 20. David is joining us from his lovely apartment um, on the Lower East Side of New York City. David, that's a strong word even for you, a tragedy. Is this yeah. Shakespearean? We think of tragedy in Shakespearean terms. Why do you use this word? Well, I, thanks, Andrew. Good, good to be here. Um, <clears throat> I would say if any company merits conceptualization in Shakespearean terms, it is meta. Because as you pointed out in your intro, and as I point out in that article, <clears throat> they are this unbelievably dramatic and tragic combination of success and failure. That is the stuff of high drama. So as you point out, in, in, in two succeeding days, Zuckerberg was told by the senators that he had blood on his hands. And the literally very next day, they reported their fourth quarter earnings, which were so good that the following day, the stock rose in more dollar terms, larger than any other stock had ever moved. They increased the valuation of that company by $197 billion in one day. Well, that was about 10% of the, the company's value. Is that right? Yeah, roughly it is almost exactly actually. Yeah, amazing. You know, uh, so 
what what that's what kind of prompted me to write this article that those two things had happened only days before they turned 20. On the one hand, being authoritatively accused of serious social harm for which they have not taken responsibility and for which they still don't really have systemic responses or, or solutions. And on the other hand, demonstrating historic profitability. And they, they instituted a dividend, for, for which is really unheard of for what's still a growth company. Um, they announced they were going to buy back $50 billion worth of their stock. These people are literally rolling in money, even as they can't spend any substantial amount on remediating the harms that they continue to cause. So I do see that as somewhat Shakespearean. And I think Zuckerberg is a Shakespearean tragic figure. And that is, of course, the Facebook effect. Um, when the book came out, David, it was greeted by some inside tech people as, uh, to quote Mike Arrington, our old friend who, uh, who employed Keenon, who started the Keenon show uh, almost 20 years ago as well. He described it as a wonderfully biased history of Facebook, meaning that you were against Facebook. I think he thought you would. No, no, he thought I was. I think he. I don't remember what he wrote. Well, maybe I, he. Maybe he thought you were too. You were too I much. Think he thought I was too sympathetic. I, I, others were more sympathetic. Your own narrative has changed. Um, as a journalist, you're a very distinguished journalist. You founded Techonomy. You worked with a number of very significant publications. When did you wake up to the, the tragic quality? When did you begin to realize that you yourself had been perhaps infatuated or successfully seduced by the promise of something which has turned out to be rather evil? Well, I can answer your first question, but I don't accept the premise of the second part because I don't think I was ever really infatuated per se. I think the company changed. I mean, I was infatuated or I was I was ad admiring, shall we say, of Zuckerberg and his project and his company up until 2014, 2015. I started to waver a little bit there, but I think there was good cause to be an admirer of the company up to that point. But the un 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 unsurprising <laughs> a moment when um, my feelings really authoritatively began to shift was the election of Donald Trump, when so many people's views were shaken about this company, especially um, after we learned a few months later that uh, not only had Cambridge Analytica um, essentially stolen um, well, you know, hundreds of millions of data sets about individuals on Facebook and used them in the Republican campaign, uh, Cambridge Analytica being a company that was founded in part by Steve Bannon. But also we learned that Russia had explicitly and deliberately and methodically uh, used Facebook to promote disinformation, both in unpaid and paid posts. So, you know, the, the, the most blatant crime there was that Russia was buying political ads on Facebook in, in, in support of Donald Trump using rubles and nobody at Facebook noticed or noticed anything awry anyway. And, you know, there's good reason to believe that Zuck, that, that uh, Trump's election and his squeaking through in particularly uh, 
Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania uh, may have been significantly aided by those Russian ads and certainly by disinformation on Facebook, which was because in Facebook you can target your, your messaging so exactly if it's paid. You know, they target it right to the swing counties in Wisconsin that they were able to identify because the Russians had stolen this polling data from the Democratic National Committee and made that available to the Republican Party. So, you know, this is a very uh, ugly story uh, that is not just Zuckerberg as the Shakespearean figure, but, um, you know, this was a poorly governed media system that was abused and manipulated. And so once that became apparent and there were hearings that were un unsatisfyingly incomplete in Congress because a lot of the real story never was fully revealed. But it, it really, I think for many, many people who care about the future of humanity and, and, and the direction of democracy, uh, our, it wasn't just me. Many people's views were dramatically altered about the, the nature of this company. The irony is that here we are now seven years later and most of that is water under the bridge. Most people are blasé, uh, fatalistic, accepting, much more impressed with the financial performance of this company than concerned about its social harms, which, again, is another part of the tragedy. And it's another reason why your voice is so important, David. You were the one who... I think alerted, you certainly alerted me and the world to the remarkable profitability of Facebook. You, you noted this way back, maybe in the mid-20-teens, uh, that Facebook was the most profitable company in history. I'm, I'm not sure I'm quoting At that time, it was, yes. So it, it, profitable so public perhaps public. you might explain how and why and... And, and, and the role in particular of Sheryl Sandberg and her relationship with Zuckerberg, because after all, it only became so profitable once Sandberg uh, came from uh, Google and, and, and brought the Google business model. Yeah, and in some ways, Sheryl is a, is a positive figure in the company's story in many ways, because before she arrived, they really didn't have any kind of methodical business model. They made money here and there with various, you know, page purchases and, and partnerships here and there. But she basically came to Facebook from Google with a deep understanding of targeted advertising and recognized that Facebook had a uniquely powerful trove of data about individuals that could be used to target advertising and set about constructing very methodically and very effectively a extremely effective system of targeted ad sales and, and which really generated results for advertisers in a way that was unimpeachable. And as a result, they were willing to pay a large amount. And it's interesting. There's a lot of things about that that are good, by the way, because it wasn't just benefiting, you know, uh, McDonald's and IBM and big companies, Exxon or whatever. It was benefiting small mom and pops shops in every community pretty much in the world and still is benefiting many of them because the targetability of Facebook enabled even a local store to sell it, to, to buy an ad on Facebook that was really only seen by people in its community. Even, you know, I think even to this day, I could probably buy an ad on Facebook that was only seen by 
women age 25 to 40 who live south of 34th Street in Manhattan, if I wanted to, who are interested in skiing and knitting, if I wanted to. That kind of thing is what you can do on Facebook, which never was possible on any advertising media system before. And now there are other systems that have variations of that that are not in still most most cases still as effective. So it still works. It's still extraordinarily profitable. Um, and it is true that for a number of years, they were the most profitable public company in the history of capitalism of their size uh, in terms of the dollars of profit per dollar of revenue. Uh, you know, there, there's so 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 I, I take the point, and it's an important observation, David. But you've noted that, and and you and you point this out in your unpacking Facebook tragedy, the the recent timepiece, that there's this tragic combination of success and failure. How has their success impacted the failure? Is this a symbiotic relationship between success and failure, or do they exist in parallel? I think they are symbiotic. In fact, I, one of the things I was happiest about in the way I was able to write that piece was ex where I explain that because they have no guardrails, everything on Facebook moves faster, including the production of profit. So, you know, it is absolutely connected, uh, the, the profitability with the failure to oversee the nature of harmful content that flows over the system because one the reason that Zuckerberg has not wanted to be more aggressive in regulating, overseeing, censoring even content that was inappropriate and harmful was because that would reduce page views, reduce the number of eyeballs that they have to show ads to. And, 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 and it's a very simple equation, you know, if you just let anything go on Facebook, people, you know, what tends to proliferate especially is content that engenders fear and anger. And that kind of thing is seductive for users to watch and, and, and pay attention to or, or, or even for sexual stimulation and a lot of other, you know, less, you know, not so attractive things. But sensationalism, let's just say, sensationalism is what most glues people to these systems. And the more you regulate, the less sensational your system becomes. So I say in the article that, you know, Facebook's profitability is a direct function of their failure to regulate and oversee themselves in a way that I would have considered responsible. It's quite a, 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 a strong position, David. Could could Facebook remain so successfully economically and address its failures, or do the two go together? Do they need to radically and honestly address their profitability if they're to reform themselves or if they are to be reformed? Not really. I mean, I don't think that doing the right thing would have that dramatic of an effect on their profitability. And it, it would have also had a lot of other beneficial effects for them. You know, for example, you and I, you know, upper middle class Americans, I mean, you're a British guy living in the U.S., but, you Speak know. yourself, David. I'm lower middle class. Okay, whatever. People I'm like us in the professional you know, class, you know that your friends 
your peers do not use Facebook very much anymore, and they used to. That is true of my friends for the most part. They may use Instagram. They don't use Facebook. Why have they all fled from Facebook? One of the reasons that all that extremely attractive demographic of upper middle class Americans with money to spend, et cetera, have fled from the system is because of the perception that it is poorly regulated, poorly uh, edited, poorly overseen and, and a cesspool and, and, and harmful and, and, and it has a bad reputation. And, and th that hasn't really hurt them in the aggregate that much, I admit, because they have continued to grow so much in the developing world, which is really their strength at this point. You know, they are in every country, literally every country. It, one of the most amazing statistics about them is that they are just about to pass 4 billion users uh, a net of all their systems. That includes WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera. And it, only shortly thereafter, they will surpass half of all humanity. One company's product set going to half of all humans on the earth today, which is an incredibly impressive business feat on the one hand. But on the other hand, it's a reality that to me even more calls for responsibility in oversight of what is going to half of humanity, because that is a really extraordinary power that they have achieved which needs to be wielded responsibly. And they don't think about it that way. We are speaking with my old friend, uh, David Kirkpatrick, uh, the author of The Facebook Effect and many other important pieces of work. He's now focusing increasingly on green politics, but he still retains a, a deep um, interest. Uh, he's the author of an important new piece also in, in fa uh, on Facebook in Time, uh, just published earlier this month, Unpacking the Facebook Tragedy as it turns 20. He's been on the show several times. Uh, and I want to thank our, our sponsor, Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics, for helping bring us such high-quality guests as David. Going to run a short feature on Liberties. And then I want to come back and, and, and talk more about how Facebook has blood on its hands and link Facebook with many of the other problems of the world in 2024. So don't go away, anyone. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We're speaking with David Kirkpatrick, the author of many books and articles on Facebook and on social media in general. He has a new piece out uh, celebrating or perhaps bemoaning Facebook's 20th anniversary, its birthday, ruining the birthday party describing Facebook at 20 as a tragedy. David, in the piece, you connect the history of Facebook with modern history, and you talk about or you make reference to a conversation that the U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken had with Tom Friedman at Davos a few weeks ago, suggesting that the dehumanization of the world, whether it's manifested in what's happening in Gaza or Ukraine, is all connected or even U.S. 
Chinese relations is all connected with Facebook. You don't blame Facebook for this, but you you make Facebook a central player in the world of 2024. Perhaps you might explain what you meant. Well, I wouldn't even say that I don't blame them. I, bl I don't blame them as the sole responsible party, but I think they've contributed significantly to the tone of public dialogue on almost every topic and pushed it more towards a dehumanizing uh, um, dynamic. Um, and, you know, this is the whole cancellation thing that we so many of us see happening and find so distressing from so many different directions. And, you know, Facebook and social media generally, as I try to explain in the piece, operates differently from other media because people, ordinary people, are interacting with the consciousness of having an audience and their self-consciousness about wanting to be approved and approbated by their friends makes them, I think, drives them towards extreme statements that are, you know, conventional wisdom in many cases uh, and, and, and often dehumanizing the other in order to reinforce their connection to, to their own core group. Um, and, and there's a lot of data on this. This is not me only saying. There's, there's a lot of evidence that social media has led to a, a lot of unfair, dehumanizing, ins insensitive rhetoric about others. And, and this, in the case of teenagers, is very much connected to the epidemic of teen suicide and self-harm and and depression that is so endemic in all the developed countries, certainly, and increasingly around the world. Um, and again, it's not just Facebook. It's, it's a whole dynamic that Facebook set in motion because they were the first mass social media platform. But it's not just them, but they are deeply party to it. And um, what I say in the piece is, you know, Blinken, who I consider a brilliant and extremely impressive Secretary of State, who's just so thoughtful and so effective, and we're very lucky to have him and many others in Biden's cabinet, actually. But um, when he says that the single biggest harm, harmful reality in the world today is this tendency to dehumanization, you know, he's thinking of Gaza and Ukraine. I'm thinking of every high school cafeteria in the world. But I, I take your point, David, but on the other hand, there's always been bullying at schools, always in cafeterias. Um, and secondly, international affairs have always been marked by horrible bloodshed, invasion, war. What's different about the period between 2004 after the founding of, of Facebook and today? Why is today's history any different from the history of the 19th, 20th, 18th centuries? I'll tell you what's different. It's become automated which means it's become intensified more rapidly. And that, that same bullying, which of course has always existed in human society, has been effectively uh, made more efficient and scaled by platforms that have failed to uh, anticipate and accommodate, you know, and, and uh, anticipate and respond to it. Because I do believe there are plenty of design choices that could have been made differently that could have reduced the propensity of these systems, particularly those run by Meta and Zuckerberg, uh, to, to reinforce that kind of bullying, de dehumanizing uh, behavior. 
And, and it's not the only thing they do by any means. I also very carefully say in the article, there are plenty of wonderful effects of these systems. People love them. That's why so many people use them. It's just, you know, but I also say just because someone volunteers at a homeless shelter doesn't mean they shouldn't be prosecuted for murder. You know, there's good and bad in these services and the bad needs to be dealt with and it has not been dealt with. And uh, tragically, the investors who make so much money on these companies really don't care. And that's ultimately the only thing that Zuckerberg cares about. So uh, I don't think there's huge evidence that a lot of improvement is likely to be found. Although, and you may want to get down this path, regulation is moving in their direction. And I, I applaud that. Also in the piece, David, you connect what some people see as the epidemic of loneliness and unhappiness, um, our age of anxiety with the rise of Facebook. Are they connected? Facebook, of course, was the first and still remains the most powerful, quote unquote, social media company. But the consequences seem to be more in, in antisocial rather than social terms. We're, we're separating ourselves from others in spite of these supposedly social platforms. It's not just Facebook, of course, it's X, it's TikTok, it's Instagram, many other platforms too. Instagram, of course, is owned by Facebook. Uh, but I, I, again, I don't see it exactly that way, Andrew, because I think it is bringing us together in many ways, and it's also driving us apart in many ways. And the parts in which it's driving us apart are those parts that ought to be better addressed. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying these systems do not, in some ways, make the world more open and connected, as Zuckerberg has long uh, proclaimed. I do accept that that is one of their impacts. It is not their only impact. That's all I'm saying. And, and you know, again, just because somebody does good doesn't mean you don't, you know, prosecute them or criticize them or condemn them for the bad. Um, and, and they're the, the, one of the most tragic things about this company is how many whistleblowers have revealed in recent years how much they knew based on their own research about harms that people were feeling, particularly teenagers, uh, that they chose not to act on. One of the things that came out just before the Senate hearings where Zuckerberg was made to apologize was some data that came up from the New Mexico Attorney General as part of the 41 states, 41 in the United States, that are collectively suing Facebook and Meta for harms to teens. Okay, 41 states are suing them on this. This is not a minor thing. Uh, but the, the New Mexico uh, Attorney General released some emails that showed that Nick Clegg, who's the head you know, P PR guy at the company, had asked Zuckerberg for the budget to hire 45 new people to address teen wellness because they recognized it was a real problem and if they could get in front of it, their image would be improved. And Zuckerberg vetoed it and did not show his willingness to spend the money. And in fact, a lot of the uh, people who have been responsible for uh, wellness and uh, avoidance of harm uh, in these services, and they have had people but they've mostly resigned or been fired in recent years. The numbers of people who work on this as a percentage of their employee population, far lower than it was a few years ago, uh, because those people felt futile and, and gave up, many of them. And people like Francis Haugen or, or Arturo Behar became whistleblowers, and, and they've done a good service to the world by revealing documents that showed they knew they were causing harm and they chose not to act. You mentioned, David, uh, regulation. Um, the hearings in D.C. at the end of last month were premised on the, on the need, according to some 
senators and congressmen to regulate social media. Can government keep up? You talked about scale and speed. Zuckerberg, of course, famously said, move fast and break things. I guess what he's broken, at least according to you, is society. But he continues to move fast because he's supported by Wall Street, by his investors. Can the regulators keep up or, or is there a need for something beyond regulation if this company is to be controlled? Well, I don't know what that would be. So I have to say probably not on the latter. But and I and the answer is regulators pro have provably not kept up. Uh, and, and that's a tragedy in its own right. Uh, all, and, and governments just haven't understood the rush of onrush of technology for the last couple decades, which I think is changing because the AI thing that's overwhelming all of this stuff at the moment is so dramatic that it is it has captured the attention of government officials and regulators all over the world. And I also think you need to give some credit to the European Union, where they have taken a lot more steps than any other part of the world to uh, restrict certain kinds of behavior by the internet giants and, and including Facebook and Meta. So, you know, it hasn't been enough. It is improving. Will it significantly alter the dynamic to save the world from the worst consequences? I, it's probably too late for that too. Uh, I think unfortunately with the dawn of this AI thing and all the disinformation that that's potentially going to enable, um, the challenge has gotten greater, not smaller, of for both for the companies and government to effectively oversee these systems. David, let's end. We, you and I, are, before we started, we're both talking about how tech has become so big and uh, also predictable. Uh, you're not writing a, a follow-up book. You suggested that you thought about it, but you found it uninspiring. Um, what's being written now? Or dispiriting about? is what I found it. Yeah, I what, what's, want to spend two years being dispirited by my subject. Is now in, in big tech, uh, is everything predictable? Is anything different? You've talked about AI. Is AI well, just another version no. of, of, is OpenAI just another version of Facebook? Not exactly. I don't think everything is predictable. I mean, I think the, these companies will remain successful, you know, Meta, Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, maybe even Tesla. Tesla is a question right now. But uh, it's not predictable because AI is so unpredictable in itself. We really don't know how the system of AI, these systems are going to evolve, how they're going to be applied, how much good they'll cause, how much bad they'll cause, how much will the disinformation enabled by AI overwhelm the good things that AI is able to uh, uh, facilitate in terms of effectively measuring and improving systems of society, which I do think will be possible. You know, there's so many complexities and it's the pace, you know, those of us like you and me who've been thinking about tech for a long time, you know, we've seen the pace accelerate of technological evolution and, and, and now it's gone to a, a new phase shift of speed through this AI, generative AI arena. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to know. Nobody knows. Even Sam Altman doesn't really have a clue where it's all going to go. He's trying to drive it in a certain direction. And, and I am very impressed that President Biden released an executive order on artificial intelligence that was quite comprehensive and quite knowing, compared to every other phase of technology in my adult lifetime, 
government is trying to get ahead of this because it's so dramatic. Finally, David, um, you note in, in the piece on, on the Facebook tragedy when you're trying to unpack this tragedy that the product wasn't designed properly. It wasn't designed to address what you call ego. Um, lots of attempts to reinvent, re-architect social media, lots of new platforms. None of them seem to have taken off. Is there any possibility of, of, of redesigning social media? So to, to borrow your language, we address ego and this product is, is better for humanity. Well, you're right. There are a lot of people who are trying to do that. Uh, that's been happening for like 15 years. People have been trying other ideas. A lot of people have the idea that blockchain based systems will return control of data to the individual and somehow that will allow social media to be reformed. I would say probably the answer to your question is no, because, you know, like everything, social media is something, a, a, a kind of creature of its time. You know, it was invented 20 years ago and, you know, we will have new stuff and it won't necessarily kill social media and it may be better for humanity. It will be more AI centric. It will probably be more augmented reality centric, more, um, you know, something you see through special glasses that you wear. I really do think we are moving in that direction. Zuckerberg happens to believe that also. So, you know, will it be called social media? Will it have the same communications elements to it? I really don't know. I think the train has left the station for social media. Facebook Meta won. They won, uh, you know, and, and TikTok won. Um, and, and, and nobody's going to bring them down anytime soon. Yeah. Facebook did indeed win, as you say, and that has created what you call the Facebook tragedy. 20 years ago, Facebook began. It's 20 years old today or 20 years old this month. Uh, how should we celebrate a 20 year tragedy, David? Turn off our computers, smash them. Yeah, right. That ain't going to happen either, Andrew. Um, well, I, I, I think it's just for me, all I can do is point out these scary things that I've identified that I feel are unaddressed. And, you know, I, I still get a lot of benefit out of digital technology and even some of Facebook Meta systems. You know, I use Instagram. I use other systems. I use WhatsApp. I even use Facebook a little bit. Um, I don't use TikTok, but um, I love LinkedIn. You know, there's there's good stuff here that we will still benefit from. And I am generally, you know, at least 51 percent optimistic about the prospect that AI will be positive for humanity. Uh, and, and I think we will probably live better lives as a result of some of the innovations that are incipient right now. Maybe we'll also be more likely to have autocratic uh, hegemonistic leaders. I don't know. Uh, you know, that's what we didn't even talk about is Facebook and Meta's facilitation of the rise of autocrats, which is really something that provably they have contributed to. You know, if you look at Orban, Duterte, Bolsonaro, Erdogan, all these people, Modi used Facebook to get elected and to stay in power. And they used it readily because the company didn't prevent them from doing it in harmful ways. And, and really, they did very, very... Uh, sneaky, dishonest things in every case, every one of those leaders and in their effort to get elected and maintain power. And Facebook looked the other way. So, you know, 
I can, you know, there's there's chapter and verse of all the bad things these people have done. But you know, like I said to you before, Wall Street doesn't care. The investors are happy. They're making money, and sadly, you know, that's the more powerful reality. Um, so.